I'm Biddy. And I'm Drake. And welcome to Backstage Biddies, a podcast where two theater nerds discuss our love and sometimes hate of movie musicals. From Golden Age to Disney to Contemporary, we'll recap and review all things movie musical. Join us as we scrutinize Hollywood casting, dive into the history of all your faves, and gossip about controversies of the stage and screen. Press play and sing along because this this is Backstage Backstage Biddies. How are you, babe? Um, I feel like right now it is uh, a rude question. (laughs) Okay, same. Yeah? Same. Can I tell you some breaking news? Breaking news here at the studio. I don't know, you might know this already, but this came across my Instagram page and I about died. Dolly Parton is collabing with Taco Bell to make Mexican pizza the musical. How wonderful. (laughs) What excellent news. As someone who frequents a fourth meal and also is a musical junkie, that checks every box I have. Checks a lot of boxes. Um, Dolly Parton, musical theater, Taco Bell. What could go wrong? Oh, I hope Doja Cat gets involved. She's, she's like a, she has a partnership with Taco Bell. Okay. Because I saw in the comments that tons of people were like, oh, Doja Cat. And I was like, yeah. Cause she did why? like, she like, <laughs> she did an ad for them and like wrote a jingle or whatever. Oh, that makes a lot more sense. Listen, a Taco Bell musical written by Dolly Parton starring Doja Cat. That checks boxes I didn't know I had. Box on box on box. Did you see, I don't know what award show it was for, but she performed one of her songs like in the style of Chicago. Yes. She's a musical theater girly at heart. I know she is. And she's so attractive. She's real pretty. Doja Cat, we love you. Send us Taco Bell. (laughs) Taco Bell, if you wanted to sponsor us, or if Dolly Parton, God forbid, should get a hold of this podcast and would like to sponsor us, we are currently accepting applications. (laughs) Speaking of Dolly. Oh, that was smooth. That was fucking brilliant. (laughs) I didn't plan that. The hint for the guest the marquee was cherries and feathers. Cherries and feathers. Cherries and feathers. And that is a line in Hello, Dolly. hey Sang it just about as good as uh, ye old Walter did, didn't I? <laughs> Hello, Dolly. We're talking about the 1969 film. It was released December 16th, 1969, directed by Gene Kelly, screenplay and produced by Ernest Lehman and music by Jerry Herman. <gasps> the cast. Is perfect. Almost. <laughs> It's almost perfect. It's very, very close. We've got the Dolly Levi, played by Barbara Streisand. That's my mom. Okay, we... my mother was very upset with me. For calling people... <laughs> yes. So I would just like to take a moment to explain that when queer people call someone their mom, they mean that that person gives them life. In Which the, means... In, it's an allegory, mother. Take a deep breath. It's an allegory. But also, all of these women are are women that I look up to endlessly. Not more than my own mother, of course, because she is a goddess among humans who deserves the world and sunshine. And I love her very much, more than any of these other women, and she is my mom, and I love her more. But also, these women are my mom. We do need to make a t-shirt that says, she's my mom, and just list... Every mom. Your mom can be on the list. She'll be at the top of the list because she is the mom, the most important mom, better than the other moms. What about my mom? She could be second on the list. No. 
Should we make, we're going to end up with two t-shirts, one for you and one for me. Okay. <laughs> so I was actually thinking about t-shirts the other day, because one of these days we're going to have an episode with like, not a good blooper reel. Maybe The not. last one? <laughs> <laughs> um, so I thought, oh, I just did it just now. Did you hear it? One of these episodes, I'm going to take every um that I have that I edit out of the episodes that you guys don't hear. They're like everywhere. Everywhere. Oh, and like, I say like an Ums, awful lot. likes. And mouth noises. <laughs> Yours is so. Yep. And either yeah or then. Probably yeah. You have a lot of yeahs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's how I talk. So you're going to have a shirt that says so yeah. And I'm going to have a shirt that says I'm like. When we go on tour, it'll be our tour merch. It'll be great. <laughs> it'll be great. What episode is this? Six? <laughs> Yeah, this is the sixth episode. We're Nailing already planning it. the national tour. Yeah, it's casual. Yeah, you gotta, you know, if you reach for the heavens, you get the stars thrown in. Back to this cast. Anywho, we're talking about Dolly. Okay, like I said, Dolly Levi, Barbara yes. Streisand. My mom. Your mom. Horace Vandegelde, Walter Matthau. America's favorite curmudgeon. Genuinely. <laughs> um, I kept calling him Walter Cronkite. Yeah, you did. All the time. <laughs> I don't know what it is. Not, They're not, not the same, the same person. person. Does not matter. Cornelius Hackle was played by Michael Crawford. Yeah. <laughs> Thoughts and feelings on that later. <laughs> Irene Malloy, played by Marion McAndrew. Minnie Faye, played by E.J. Peeker. Barnaby Tucker, played by Danny Lachlan. Did you know that he was brutally murdered? What? <laughs> Yeah. Hang on, finish the cast list and we'll bump back to it. No, that was the end. That's the end of the cast list? That's Danny Lachlan was brutally murdered. So... I'm uncomfortable. What do you mean he was brutally murdered? Hang on, I'll find it in my notes. When did this become and that's why we drink? <laughs> so I'm not going to get into the gruesome hairy details of it. If true crime is your thing, feel free to like bop over to YouTube and find out information on his murder. His life got really hard after he finished this show. Um, and he was actually in in the stage production of Hello, Dolly. Oh. He's one of the few cast members in this in this movie who was, aside from the ensemble, who were borrowed mostly from the musical. He was one of the people who had done the show live. So he had a history with uh, Hello, Dolly, and later in life that history kind of like fizzled out as the musical became not popular. So at the age of 34 in the year 1977, he was brutally murdered after a night out at a club. Um, he was stabbed over a hundred times. Jesus. Yeah, like brutally murdered. So check it out if that's your kind of, if that's your vibe. Like what a fun tie-in. But um, speaking of the live show, Dolly Levi is one of the most extensively cast roles on Broadway. Um, the movie, in fact, tested over 1,500 actresses for her. Oh, wow. Yeah, because so many people had played Dolly, so they had a really wide pool to pick from. Some folks of note who played Dolly include Carolee Carmelo, Sally Struthers, Ethel Merman, Mary Martin, Donna Murphy, Carol Cook, Dorothy L'Amour, Eve Arden, Ann Miller, Michelle Lee, Edie Adams, Yvonne DiCarlo, Betty White played her. Yeah. On a tour in 79. Ginger Rogers, Martha May, Betty Grable, Pearl Bailey with an all-black cast, which actually won her uh, a retroactive Tony in 67. Heck yeah. Um, Thelma Carpenter, Phyllis Diller, Bernadette Peters, Betty Buckley, like stars on stars on stars. And then, of course, 
the two most famous iterations, one, the Miss Carol Channing, and then, of course, Barbara Streisand. So there's a whole smear of women who have done the death out of this role to uproarious applause every single time. Oh, and of course, Bette Midler, who got a Tony for it in the most recent revival on Broadway in 2017. She won her Best Actress Award. And I think she was 72 when she did that. Yes, she did. It was her very first Tony Award. (laughs) Isn't that crazy? I mean, this role, first of all, wins women awards. And they deserve it. But also, it's been done by all the greats. With casting, actually, Barbara Streisand was super young. She was 25. She was 25 when she was... It was... She was 27 when the movie came out. Right. She was 25 when they filmed it. Walter Matthau <laughs> was 22 years older than she. Yeah. So here's the deal. When I watched this thing for the first time, which was only a few years ago... Yeah, we got into this one late in life. I really loved this movie. Me too. I still love this movie. Yeah, it's one of my favorites. But one of the things that caught my eye was why are they love interests? Because I didn't read as that. And I know that they're not exactly love interests, like based off of the story. She's kind of like, he's kind of quirky and cute. He has a shitload of money. So I'm going to go right on ahead and do that. But it still was weird for me a little bit. And then I figured out the age difference that was there. And I was like, this is almost the exact age difference between me and my dad. Like actor to actor, it's weird. It never bothered me narratively. I think if she were a readably older woman, like an older actress, there's the element of your biological clock is ticking. You know, there's a connotation that comes with being a woman of a certain age. Not that I think that it's right or proper because I think women can seek love at any age. But it, it never, I don't know, it never bothered me. She always just seemed like a philanthropic woman who needed a rich husband to continue doing good things and enjoying her life. I understand why it bothers other people. Well, and I think to me, the role reads so much more as like a middle-aged woman. Because she is. Than it does a Dolly, young Dolly woman. Levi is 50. Right. Well, and that's what I'm saying, though, is that, like, with Barbara Streisand being cast when she was 25, it just does not have the same feeling behind it, does not have the same something. I disagree, but that's fine. It bothers some people. It doesn't bother me. It doesn't bother me. I just think that it... Are you sure? Because you brought it up. No, I just... (laughs) Shut the fuck up. I think it reads differently... Than if it was an older woman. I think it does too. And obviously it was written for like Dolly's characters written So you as agree. 50. I'm correct. No, that's not <laughs> what I said. You said, you said you agree. It reads differently, but I don't think it hurts the show in any way. I don't think it I didn't changes say it the hurt narrative. The show. I don't think it changes the character of the narrative. I think people were mad about it and. They were really mad about and it. And they, they dug too far into it. Like I, I don't think it needed to be the the mess that it was it was kind of a mess well and the thing too is is that so at the time barbara streisand hadn't even done a movie yet there was one movie she had done before this but it hadn't been released yet so there were other actors is that true i thought she had done funny girl already but it hadn't been it hadn't come out by the time they were recording this oh oh that's interesting so she was cast before the release of funny girl right oh and so the director with funny girl was like She's great. She knows what she wants. Okay. So there was a lot of tension on set. Yeah, there was. There was actually 
more tension than we think to. I'll, I'll get to it when we talk about the costume designer, Irene Sheriff. Mm-hmm. She also had some beef on set, and we'll get to that. There was several different beefs. <laughs> Many beefs. Several Many flavors. Beefs. All the flavors. One of the things to me in reading some of the stuff, I understand where certain people were coming from when they were complaining about Barbara. Being like, oh my god, she's so needy and she thinks she knows everything and she's this, she's that, she da 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 da. Or was she just an enthusiastic woman, young woman who hadn't had tons of success yet? Right. She was a green actress. She wanted to be good. Mm-hmm. So when you want to learn, you ask questions. That's how human people work. <laughs> she asked questions. She also made directing suggestions and things like that. Stuff that she thought would be cool or funny or whatever. And Walter Matthau. <laughs> Hated it. Hated it. The one thing too is he had gone and complained to like the head of the company and was like, she's ridiculous, blah, 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 whatever. Because he had just come off of a movie where he won an award for it. And the guy said, I would love to help you, but I'm not making Hello, Walter. I mean, it's true. It's true. And the thing too is, is that afterwards he kind of recognized like she didn't deserve the way that I treated her. The one big blow up that everyone talks about where the director pulled the two of them into a different room on set and different things like that to like hash this shit out Mm -hmm. was the day that Bobby Kennedy was shot. Oh. So tensions were high anyway. It was in the middle of like July or August. It was hot as balls outside. Yeah. The amount of clothing that they all had to wear. It also rained like the entire time they shot this film. So everything was like wet muggy, humid, damp. So there were a lot of things going on and she had made a suggestion for yet another thing for people to do. And he, he blew up. He said something about she has less talent than a butterfly's fart. (laughs) (laughs) The most ridiculous shit ever. She did a bang up. I mean, obviously, she's Barbara fucking Streisand. I mean, I mean this movie, duh. Her, particularly her performance, is absolutely incredible. Oh, fully. And not that Walter had any stones to throw, mind you, because he was cast because he was close with Gene Kelly, mm-hmm. who directed. He wasn't there because he was, like, the best audition they saw. So I don't know if you're allowed to poke fun at other people when you were there on a favor. One of the other critiques that this got besides the age difference of casting was the fact that they kept shoving more people and more bodies and more stuff on camera and on stage, Mm -hmm. which by the way, holy bananas, and we'll talk about it more in the plot. But Vincent Canby in his New York Times review said that the producer and director merely inflated the faults to elephantine proportions by doing that. I don't agree. I don't agree either. I'm like, what faults? Michael Crawford. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, but like, I'm talking about the movie as a whole. Like, I don't don't know that there are that many faults with it. Let's dive into some awards, shall we? Yeah, tell me what the Academy thought. The Academy Awards, they were nominated for Best Picture, Best Cinematography, Best Costume Design. Of course. I don't know how they lost, though. Granted, they lost to Anne of the thousand days which defensibly is a very very well costumed movie oh i believe it i saw a couple pictures it's stunning because i was like well how did i mean hello dolly is breathtaking but 
and of a thousand days is is like earth shattering striking Ooh, well hot dog and also nominated for best film editing it won in best art direction best score and best sound for the baftas they only were nominated they didn't win anything but they were nominated for best actor lead for walter Matthau. Best Actress Lead for Barbara Streisand, Best Art Direction, and Best Cinematography. For Golden Globes, they also were only nominated, no wins. That's interesting. But still, I mean, hey. They were nominated for Best Picture, Best Lead Actress for Babs, Best Supporting for Marianne McAndrew, Best Director for Gene Kelly, and Best Promising Newcomer for Marianne McAndrew. We had just talked about a movie that didn't get nominated for anything. And this thing got nominated for a ton of stuff. But the actual reception of it from like an audience standpoint, certain critics, things like that, wasn't great. Yeah. The box office. It tanked in the the theaters. Eric Henderson from Slant Magazine said the film is more infamous for bringing Fox financially to its knees than for being the last major musical directed by Gene Kelly. Hello, Dolly is one big-assed bull in a china shop. The film cost nearly as much to produce as Cleopatra and made far less at the box office, thus earning the film its reputation as one of Hollywood's foremost turkeys. I mean, yeah, it's credited as the death of the movie musical. Yeah. In the timeline of, like, the golden age of movie musicals in, like, the 30s and 40s up to now, Hello, Dolly is considered the death of the movie musical. And then we have a handful of like experimental type movie musicals, really like odd off the wall things tend to succeed, like Rocky Horror Picture Show, Little Shop of Horrors, Cabaret, very like strange off kilter movie musicals succeed until the film adaptation of Chicago. And then we're ushered into the renaissance of the movie musical, which we are living in the heyday of now. And that started in 2002, right? That's yeah, 2002. And then in 2007, Hairspray kind of solidifies the Renaissance for us. So I don't, I don't agree that Hello, Dolly killed the movie musical. I think, it, I think it solidified the financial insecurity of a certain type of movie musical. Up to this point, movie musicals were really popular in theaters because they were often preceded by what was called a road show. So a road show was like an exclusive showing of a movie. Um, It often had like extended features or like an extended cut. It had like an overture, an intermission, entreacts. Like it was meant to kind of mimic a night at the theater, like a live show, but in a movie theater. So road shows usually guaranteed enough buzz that you would get a good financial return when you did your wide release. It also meant people with money didn't have to rub elbows with the peasants so they could see the movie with their rich friends and not have to see the underlings of their city. In the 50s, 60s, when TV started to become a household convention, the road show really suffered. People weren't willing to go out of their way and to leave the comfort of their homes to go see a road show anymore. Um, The spectacle of it kind of died off. You had to convince people with more to be able to get them away from their televisions to go see entertainment in the theaters, especially when you knew that the movie was going to get a wide release two weeks later for cheaper and less hassle. So the road show suffered, and because of that, the movie musical began to suffer. And Hello, Dolly! was really just kind of like in the wrong place at the wrong time and took the blow. 
It was the kind of the last major movie that was formatted to complement the roadshow because that we found out it was no longer financially viable. And a lot of studios were riding the high and the buzz of several Julie Andrews projects. My Fair Lady, which she starred in, went to become a movie, not with her, as we know, but she kind of propelled that project forward. She did Mary Poppins. Sound of Music was a smash hit. So we have all of these. If, if it's anybody's fault, it's Julie Andrews' fault. Love you, Julie. <laughs> but you you did us in. You made everyone believe with your silvery voice that we could really do this forever. And the truth is we couldn't. We all really loved you and not the movie musical. So while it is technically credited as being the death of the movie musical and timeline wise, that is what happened. I don't think it was Hello Dolly's fault. I think it was just in the line of fire. What's interesting though, is that it was originally slated to come out basically when it did. But then they decided to do another run of Hello Dolly for the stage production. In the contract, it said if that was going to happen, they would need to put the movie on hold and make it release in 1971. But they paid big old buckaroons. Two million dollars. To 86 that. Yeah, to get around that contract. That was a big buy. It was one of the one of the main reasons this movie escalated in budget so quickly because they had to keep circumventing contracts and letting people in and out and it got expensive fast. Woof. So the stage show is actually wildly popular, way more so than this movie at the time. This musical was based on The Matchmaker by Thornton Wilder. As a play, it also existed under the title A Day Well Spent, A Merchant of Yonkers, and a German title Einen Juxwil Ersik Machen. So it existed as several stage plays before it was finally adapted. And before settling on Hello Dolly, it was called Dolly, A Damn Exasperating Woman and Call on Dolly. It was finally changed to Hello Dolly when people saw, I believe it was Carol Channing, sing the song Hello Dolly. And then the title was permanently changed. And why wouldn't you? Because Carol Channing was incredible and the epitome of Broadway royalty in this role so Carol Channing was the original Hello, Dolly! on Broadway in 64. Um, this musical also opened on the West End in 65. It has had four Broadway revivals and one on the West End. In 64, Hello, Dolly! won a record-breaking 10 Tony Awards, including Best Musical. The record of 10 Tony Awards in one night would not be beaten for 37 years. It was beaten in 2001 by the producers, which won 12. Wow. Yeah. Several revivals have also won Tony Awards, including the most recent Broadway revival, which, again, starred Bette Midler. She won a Tony for Best Actress. It also won Best Revival that year. So this has been popular. It stays popular. All right. Let's dive into some plot, baby. I love it when you say that. (laughs) (laughs) so this was set fuck you said that i say so a lot now that's all i can and it's causing me pause when i'm talking anyway the plot it's set in two different places yonkers yonkers in new york city center of the universe in 1890 we have done a lot of turn of the century musicals at this point. This is like the third one in a row. It's a lot of them. It's I just realized them. that. Yeah. Well, wait for next week's episode. We kind of turn <laughs> that on its head. 
My first note. Do you want to know what my first note is? Tell me. In all caps, the clothes. I mean, listen, this movie is so spectacularly done. It's, I mean, every time you turn around and it's, it's all the elegance and grace of Mary Poppins costumes, of Happiest Millionaire's costumes. We're kind of working in that same decade, that same kind of time period, right at the turn of the century. But so many of these pieces are custom made, custom fit. Like, I think the cheapest dress that Barbara Streisand wears in this movie was $8,000. And we have a whole formal wear scene when we get to Harmonia Gardens. Like, this movie had all the grandeur and beauty of turn-of-the-century costume with a massive Hollywood budget. Just buku bucks. So I... much money. Because the kicker is, we enter in on a scene of a street, of a town. Which is an actual town, by the way. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, neat. It's an actual town that you can go visit and see it. Portions of it are still up. Oh my God, let's go. We're leaving. I think this is the second trip that we've planned too. Fantastic. Ah, okay. We come in and you see loads of people. You see horse-drawn carriages all over the place. There's like a busy Times Square. Every single time I watch this movie, it does not matter how many times I have seen it before. I am in awe at the amount of people who needed to be dressed. It's a lot. Every moment. It's overwhelming. Every moment. And there are some really big wide shots where like there is no fudging it. Like when we get to uh, before the parade passes by, there's a really massive wide shot. The like the final shot of the film is a super expansive wide shot. And like everybody is dressed to the nines. Another thing that I super appreciate about this film is they tend not to use mostly black pieces, which is a which is a rule of mine personally. Like when I costume live theater, I tend not to use black costumes because when something it's it's different when you're on stage than on film, obviously. Because when you put something that is matte black on stage, the audience doesn't acknowledge it. It's like a quick stage trick. It's a lighting thing that happens in that space that when something is not catching light in any way, the audience doesn't acknowledge it. So I tend not to use all black pieces. This musical does a fantastic job of that. So even when we get these like enormous group shots, there's still colorful suits. There's lots of pink suiting in this musical, which is so pretty. All of the shoes match all of the dresses. Like the shoe budget in here, nothing lights my fire. Like a pair of shoes that matches a dress. Ooh. (laughs) And can I tell you, This whole, we could do one episode on just the costumes in this movie. We really could. There's a lot to say. Because the deal is, you're probably going to hear me say this again, shoes that match the skirt, that match the top, that match the under things, that match the hat, that the handbag is the same fabric made as the skirts. Right. I mean, it's it's so consistent. Irene Sheriff did an, an incredible job working on this film. She did some of her best work here, in my opinion. It's so thoughtful. Everything's color coordinated. And I I really do, like, beyond all the work that went, went into it, I love shoes at the turn of the century. I just think they're so aesthetically pleasing. I love, like, a high women's Victorian boot. I think that's such a classy, stylish shoe. I wish more people would wear them. I might start wearing them. Let's bring them back. Why not? You know, I love it. I love the shoes. And it's, we get a whole like two minute sequence of like various pans of shoes. It's very satisfying for me. (laughs) Because what they're doing with that pan of shoes 
is they are taking the steps of these people and having that add to the rhythm of the score, which is really cool, which is something that we saw in Hairspray. Right. It's a very useful tool when you're entering a musical to kind of merge like a cinematic world with the larger than life musical theateriness of it all. So Dolly's walking around. We get the ensemble singing, just call on Dolly. And she explains a little bit more of what she does. She sings for three seconds on the top of that bus. And she is already a massive talent. She opens her mouth. We're like two bars into the fucking musical. And I'm like, God, fucking shit. She is so talented. I mean, is she by? Is she by? Is she by Streisand or is she by Streisand? <laughs> well, is she? You tell me. I'm just, I'm saying. <laughs> then we get Just Leave Everything to Me, which was written for Barbara Streisand. And she sings the crap out of it. She's explaining to everybody, I do everything from floral arrangements to furniture to making your marriages being consummated to setting people up to this to that i mean she literally does everything i'll import your cheese i'll get you fit expert mandolin instructions homegirl is like you need it she i got, got it. it then she is getting her train ticket and she's like i have important business in yonkers with horace vandegelder the nearly half a millionaire which by the way Half a million dollars in this time is like $15 million today. No biggie. NBD. NBD. Don't make it. Everyone calm down. Guys, calm down. It's like. It's just $15 million. It's just $15 million. I just. It's casual. You guys are freaking out. I need you to calm down. It's like pocket change. It's nothing. So she's explaining to the guy that she's going there because she's going there to help him. And he was like, oh, you're going to marry him yourself, Dolly? She's like, what would ever put that crazy idea into my head? Your head. head. She's so clever. (laughs) She's so clever. That's one of the things that makes this character so endearing. And especially the way that Barbara plays her. Yes. She's very quick. The beats change really, really fast. Like the acting beats that she fires through. She's very quick-witted. I love a quick-witted woman. It's a lot to keep up with as an actress, but she absolutely kills it. She does. Then we get the scene of Horace being shaved and he is yelling. Well, between this opening number and the actual beginning of the show, we get we get a whole overture where we, we like you get the cast and all that normal stuff. But I thought it was really interesting that we had an overture after the opening number in this musical. What a twist. Twist and a turn. And oddly, I didn't hate it. It was a really good use of an overture in a film format, in my opinion. It was like a prequel and then an overture. Yeah, almost like a, I don't know, it, 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 it feels like it framed the world and set it up really efficiently and then gave us like the musical theater standard that we're used to. I don't know, I thought it was really clever. It was a good use of, good use of their time and their frame, so. Good show, good show. Excellent work. But yes, then he's getting shaved. And then the, he's getting shaved. The inconsistencies between shots with his shaving cream really bugs me. It's... <laughs> It's every obnoxious. every shot, his shaving cream's in a different place with a different configuration. <laughs> so he has a niece, Ermengarde, and <gasps> she is dating Ambrose. Those are is, such stupid names. Who is the tallest SOB. He's like 7'4". I, like, genuinely, 
I know that they did this for comedic things. Right, it's a haha. And my God, does it make me giggle? I mean, he is so obnoxiously tall compared to every single person. Ermengard, his girlfriend, the gal sh- he wants to marry, is shorter than most people in this production. So just the two of them standing next to each other is just the silliest darn thing you've ever seen. It makes total sense because I think that their subplot is meant to be really farcical and really like melodramatic and high comedy. And so we get like even their existing physically is a bit, and you which get, I think is funny. Well, because you get some of that melodrama from when he's like, I'm going to marry her. You can't. She's 18. Me, me, me. And <laughs> Ermengarde comes up and she's like, my uncle, I love you. I like, am going to marry him. He's my everything. And she wails. Oh my God. It's so dramatic. She wails, but like her body isn't doing much of anything. It's, and she it's just, funny. she like slams the door shut behind her <laughs> and it's just like a perfect stage exit. And their names are Ambrose and Ermengarde. I know. I mean, and all of the names in this are meant to be, I have a personal philosophy that musical theater is always more than life. Like the characters that you're witnessing are not human people. They're like human plus. All musical theater characters are just like a little overinflated past being human. Like Tanner in Teen Beach movie when he's like always like tossing his head back and forth and super giggly and like isn't really connected to reality. That's a caricature of the person, the persona of a musical theater character. Like they're just not people. And like Horace Vandergelder, Ermengarde Vandergelder, like those aren't people names. And every single time I hear Ambrose's name, I just think of an ambrosia salad and I get snackish. Oh, do you want to make an ambrosia salad after this? Yeah, let's do that. Excellent. So Horace dispatches the children and are like, you're obnoxious, you're not getting married, you're just a bunch of fools and idiots, which is his go-to for everything. He thinks everybody's dumb and everybody's a fool and everybody is a waste of time and money. That's his shtick. After he gets shaved, though, he talks to the guy who is shaving him and he's like... He propositions him for sex. He's like, hey, no homo, but can you give me a little extra jazz? Can you do to me what you do to those young fellas is his exact phrase. And he... You, sir, have just asked for coitus. (laughs) Because he has something special that he's going into New York to do later. He's going to try and propose. I personally think it's to inappropriate Irene. to proposition your barber on the day of your engagement. Is it? I find it inappropriate. Well, yeah. But Horace, no, Horace doesn't do that. No, But the he's... way he phrases it is gay. Yeah, and it's very gay. Because <laughs> the, the reaction of the barber too, he's just like, I don't know, like a little perfume water, a little steam hot towel on my face you know that kind of dealy and his <laughs> he's like i know nothing of the sort except 10 cents for a shame i just say uh, he is so offended appalled. offended what do you mean fancy stuff that's done to young men and i think some horace. of the sub- some of the subtext is um i don't have anything i can do to make you prettier horace you're a grouchy ugly old man all I, all I can do is give you a clean shave. So sorry. <laughs> then Dolly ends up showing up. We get that number that is so obnoxious about dainty women. Oh gosh, yeah. Where Walter Matthau sings 
a husky woman at me. And it is so upsetting. So, okay. So here's what I have to say about Walter Matthau's singing voice. I think Matthau was a perfect fit for this character. Actor to role, really good fit. Oh, yeah. He, he absolutely smashes Horace Vandergelder. He cannot sing. <laughs> I'll talk about it again when we get to Michael Crawford, but there is a difference between a character voice for the stage and a character voice for the screen. And at times, I feel that the two of them in particular don't really meet that bar for either. However, I do think that they both do an adequate job acting through the song and I think they managed to put the song over, but it does get hard to listen to at times. Like there are definitely a couple moments where like the timbre is not right or like this was for film. We could have changed keys. There were workarounds and and we'll talk about some more of them later, but it's not pleasant, but it's also it's also passable. I feel that. Yeah. He's singing about why he wants a wife so she can do everything. And it's very funny to me that he's singing about a dainty, soft woman with gentle fingers and wears pink and blah, 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 and all this stuff. And he's talking about her setting out traps for the mice, weaning the Guernsey, mm-hmm. cleaning stables, shoveling your ice and snow in winter. He is very quietly, like, without outright saying so, joining in chorus with all of these like farm hands and, and everyone on the on the feed store property that men can't do it alone that they need caretakers but like not saying that no because he's a he's a man and he doesn't need a woman right it takes a dainty woman she must be soft and dainty and also do all of the housework and support me always because i'm incapable of doing this on my own but she's the soft fragile one right Right. (laughs) (laughs) Dolly shows up and talks to Horace about him going to New York to go see Irene Malloy. Very quickly. Very quickly. She does that whole like really fast patter with like, oh no, look, oh gosh, oh, your lifeline, oh. Like she's, it's, she's in New York. She's quick. She's so fast. (laughs) So clever. I love it. Sends him off, and then she sees that Ambrose and Ermengarde are trying to climb out the window to go get unfinanced. Right, to go elope. Because the reason that Dolly showed up, well, what Horace thinks is the reason that Dolly showed up, is to set up Ermengarde. Right, because she's been hired by Horace as his marriage broker. Correct, for himself... And then also for his niece, Ermengarde. Right. Dolly stops him, of course, and is like, get back in the house. Let's talk about this. She's like, no, of course. The two of you will be wed. It will be great. I'll dance there. Maybe as uh, your aunt. (laughs) Show up. Harmony Gardens, like 7 or 7.30. Tell them I'm coming. Have them make me a chicken. It'll be great. And Ambrose has the line about, I can't go to Harmonia Gardens. I don't know how to dance because there's a contest that night. Yeah, there's a dance competition. There's a dance competition, but Ambrose can't dance. And Dolly pulls out the business card. She has a business card for literally everything. And it's something that happens, I think, low key. Well, first of all, she's a witch. But, (laughs) and I mean that in the very literal sense of like, she does magic. And a little part of me is like, you know, cousin to Mary Poppins. I literally have the same note. Yeah. Because it's a bit that like she pulls stuff out of her bag, and it's exactly what you need, and it's exactly right. It's a bit that like you might not pick up on in the opening number when she's handing out cards to everybody because she keeps saying her various businesses really quickly. So one might assume that her business card says something really vague and just has her contact information on it. 
But in retrospect, no, she pulls out several of these business cards and people read them. And Ambrose says, painters taught to dance. And we get one later, I think it's in the hat shop, where someone reads a card. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's, it's Cornelius. It's, it's Cornelius, it's, uh, 28 and three quarter year olds, shop shopkeeper, something like that shop manager taught to dance so all of these cards are like very very specific you guys can't see it but i'm i'm physically handing Benny imaginary cards thank you i have been for several minutes now i'll, I'll <laughs> save them for forever and always thank you so it's a bit that we get and and we come to find that they actually all have really specific businesses written on them and I so think yeah that that's maybe why so she's many like related are, to mary poppins <laughs> i think that that's why so many people are shocked maybe yeah when they like get her business cards and they're reading it and they're like uh, this is oddly specific. This is a business card for exactly the job that I need done. Like, verbatim. Just drop to me from the top of a bus into How a manhole. Odd. What the hell? <laughs> like, it's it's very weird. But I got a really hard chuckle out of it. I think it's really funny. It's a funny bit. It's very... F- so she is like, I'll teach you to dance. It's great. It's like a one, two, three. Fantastic. She heads downstairs and she's like, mm, Cornelius Hackle, Barnaby Tucker. What if you went to New York? She never says anything directly. No, it's all suggestion. It's all suggestion. And she makes sure to like make people feel that it was their idea. It's just the power of suggestion. She's just saying that what if you did? It would be nice if you did. It could be fun if you did. She's a hardcore manifester. Oh, Absolutely. So yeah, so she interrupts Corny and, and Barnaby um, trying to blow up their store because they just need a night off. So of course the course of action should be... Now they have already asked for a, de- a night off and been told no. Because he's gonna... Because he, meaning Horace, is going to be gone. And they're like, so like, would I get a night off? And he's like, no. Why no, of the course fu- not. Why would you get a night off? Also, he's like, aren't you 40? And he's like, no, I'm 28 and three quarters. He's like, fool's age. (laughs) Until a man's 40, you're just paying him to make mistakes. A ridiculous age to be. I'm 28 and a half. Not three quarters. I know. You're even more of a fool. Or am I less of a fool? Is 28 and a half the peak? Is it like Mary Poppins measuring tape? I I don't think so. I think 40 is because that's what Horace is like. 40. No man is a man until he's 40. Huh. Perhaps. Weird. But uh, just a tip for all of you wage workers out there. If your boss won't give you a day off, I'm not going to say that. (laughs) We we here at Backstage Biddies do not condone any kind of bombing whatsoever. Don't blow up your place of business. Is that where you were going with that? No. It's not where I was going with it, and you can't prove it. Carry on. You can just leave. You don't need to blow up a business. (laughs) To get a day off. Now, who just... said they should? Not me. No, you didn't. I didn't. You and I. What? I didn't say that. Methinks he resists too much. <laughs> Methinks thou doth protest too much. That's the line. <laughs> anyway, Cornelius and Barnaby decide to blow up chicken mash because the smell, if they blow up the cans, will keep people out of the store for twenty-four hours or so. The thing with Barnaby, sometimes when he gets excited, he gets obnoxiously excited. Where he's like, no, that's crazy. And he's like, but are you going to do it? Yes, Cornelius, yes! (laughs) Like, it is so obnoxious. Cornelius is just a goofball anyway. A dime store Dick Van Dyke, if you will. It read very much so as that. Like Dick Van Dyke just wasn't available? 
<laughs> so they found Michael Crawford instead. <laughs> so they decide they're going to go to New York. Dolly's like, excellent. Now everyone's going to New York. Everybody, put on your Sunday clothes. I love this song. This song was also in Wally. It was in Wally. I've never seen Wally, but was... every every video review that I saw of this film mentioned Wally, so I'm well aware of the fact. It was in Wally because when Wally was all by himself, this is one of the things that he had to watch. This is another moment where we have a whole myriad of people. So many costumes in this movie. And I have to wonder, does Disney just have a warehouse somewhere full of like late 1800s, early 1900s costumes? Yeah, it's somewhere in the desert. I would like to live there, please. The amount of clothing. The amount of clothing. It's I can't stress monstrous. it. It's Like, I kept thinking, like, I wonder how mu how many of these costume pieces were also used in Mary Poppins at some point. Because there, there has to be overlap, but Mary Poppins had a much darker color palette. There were lots of grays, blacks, navies. The chimney sweeps are all in black. Like, all the bankers do black. They just don't do any black suiting whatsoever in this movie. No. So, like, I mean, maybe there were a couple pieces reused as far as, like, underpinnings, like, shirts and things like that. But, like... I mean, my God, like, they just must have built so much stuff. And, like, where did it all go? Someone tell me so that I can go there and just, like, rub my face in a pile of this stuff. New kink unlocked. <laughs> my kink? 19th century fashion. Literally, the note that I have in all caps again is fucking clothes. It's so many clothes. Bright colors. And, again, the shoes matches the dresses, matches the hats. But it all looks like a picture when they stand together. Like, they don't look disjointed. They don't look... Like, it all reads and blends so well together. I mean, Sheriff is a genius. Like, it was insane. Well, and just the sheer amount of people. That's another thing that we're going to talk about again. It will come back up at the parade scene. They could have, with this scene on the train platform, probably cut the number of dancers in half. And we wouldn't have even seen a dent. No. But again, one of the things this movie did was employed a bunch of people who had been in the stage production. Every single stage production that had ever happened up until now. Right. I'm convinced. I mean, and I think, uh, let's see, this was 69. So I think there's only been, I think there's just been the Broadway and the West End production at this point. I don't think we've gotten to any of the revivals yet. But still, this musical has already had two successful large production runs in two of the largest theater centers of the, of the world. And they didn't cut anybody. I don't think they did. So they do the put on your Sunday clothes, which by the way, truly is a good number. It's like one of those numbers like nine to five. Yeah, it's a feel good number. It's a feel good number. They do it a lot number. for like light parades and stuff at Disney World. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Because it truly is like, if you're having a bad time, put on a pretty outfit and sometimes that's enough to just get you by for a moment. Enjoy yourself a little bit. When you look good, you feel good, baby. They all hop on the train. Off, we're to, off New to New York. York. Boom, we're in New York. And we meet Irene and Minnie. I love them both so much. The wicked women of New York <laughs> City. So, because they're not married or unfinanced yeah. or courting or anything like that, people assume that they're wicked women because mm -hmm. Irene owns this hat shop. And she uses it to her advantage because she says that she keeps herself like free of drama so that people will always be in her shop trying to find drama. Which is why she doesn't go out to shows and doesn't go out to dinner and right. doesn't do all of these things, which is something that she does want to do. 
Right. She like she actively doesn't like pursue frivolity because if people see her enjoying herself in public or doing unladylike things, then they have her gossip for free. But so now... she she keeps her business running by making sure people have to come to her to get gossip about her. And Which is she, so clever. <laughs> she is so clever. And she flirts with the guy who is directing traffic. And he's like, if only all the attractive men in New York weren't already married. And he's like, oh, Paul, shucks. <laughs> Essentially. She makes this comment about Minnie eating a banana. Yeah, and it's too suggestive because she's doing she's it on the like, street. She's like, Minnie, people are going to be watching you eating this. But she's like, it's just my lunch. She's like, oh. Well, throw it away, you filthy thing. (laughs) Because we are wicked women. Yeah. They show back up at the hat shop. They end up talking about this one customer who sent back a hat, which is where we got our hint. Right, because she she wants cherries and feathers on her hat. That's all she wants is cherries Cherries and feathers, feathers, cherries and feathers. And Minnie says she'd do better with a heavy veil. (laughs) Irene has a similar quick wit about her that Dolly does. She does. But it's more low. I think it's more low key. Yes. More subtle. And Dolly's is very direct. Well, I think I think they have the same skill in that sense, but I think Dolly actively uses it. Irene doesn't use it. I think she's much more content to passively use her power of observation and then employ it to her benefit when the opportunity arises, whereas Dolly will create the opportunity by force. <laughs> exactly. Then we get ribbons down my back, which is a beautiful number. And Minnie tells Irene, you can't wear that hat because Irene says if she's not going to wear it. Like if we have to make her a new one with cherries and feathers, I'll wear this one. And Minnie says, you can't. It's provocative. (laughs) Just like that. Oh, God, they're so funny. They're so funny. and I love them so much. She's like, well, you know what? I can be provocative if I want. I could wear ribbons down my back. And for a long time, I was like, why the heck does that matter? Literally in the lyrics of the song, if I would have paid attention until this watch, <laughs> it's because they'll flutter in the wind to catch gentlemen's eye. Right. Wearing ribbons down your back was a sign of the, in the time that you were looking to be courted. Available. Yeah. Speaking of available in men, they get giddy because two men show up. I had a question for you about this number. Let's see if I have an answer. Does Irene do her own singing? I couldn't find anywhere that it said that she didn't, but I wasn't... I mean, she very clearly isn't lip syncing, like, right up to the words. And I just was curious if that was, like, the actress just being a poor lip syncer or if the actress had her voice dubbed by somebody else. Yes, Irene was dubbed vocally, and that was done by Gilda Mackin. Okay, that makes sense. Because, again, we can see her lip syncing and it isn't isn't quite the same as, as what she's singing. So I was just curious if you had found it in your research, because again, I couldn't find it anywhere. So Yes. So it's a stunning singing voice. She sounds lovely. A brava. She does. She does sound lovely. However, I do not care for ribbons down my back. No. It's a song in this musical that I just don't jive with. I usually skip it. It's something that every once in a while I enjoy to sing. I imagine it would make a good audition piece. Yeah. Yeah, good audition fodder, but I don't really care for it in the movie. I get that. I get that. Then we get the men. And hilarity ensues. (laughs) Cornelius and Barnaby show up. They waltz into the hat shop because they were kind of low-key directed by Dolly to do this. Right. Because Dolly knew that Horace was going to be showing up there at like two to ask Irene. 
Right. To so marry she's him. she's staging it so that Horace won't end up proposing. Exactly. Without telling anyone that that's what's happening and without directly like asking anybody to do that for her, she is yeah. making that happen for herself that Horace will at the end of the day be available. <laughs> exactly. Cornelius Barnaby walk in. They pretend that they are well off, have tons of money. The thing is, is that Irene sees right through it and thinks that they're just kind of cute. As they're across the street, not even entering the store yet, Irene's like, I like the tall one. I'll give the short one to you. <laughs> Which is and the coupling that happens. Well, yeah, they didn't really have a choice. No. <laughs> Irene knew what she wanted. Listen. Went for it. This is another musical where the ladies know what they need, they know what they want, and goddammit, they're going to get it. The men are in a ladies' hat shop, so they're trying to explain to Irene why it's okay that they're in a ladies' hat shop without being like, I'm here to hit on you because... Cornelius and Barnaby have never kissed a woman. And that's their big adventure. They're like, we're not leaving New York until we kiss ladies. Because everybody else has been going around kissing ladies. And we've just been working in this goddamn feed store. <laughs> and that's it. We're going to kiss a girl. We're taking this one day of adventure. There's no way that we're going to ever be able to do this again. Strap up, bud, because here we go. Here we fucking go. So she's like, oh, so you're here for a lady friend. And he's like, well, not exactly a lady friend. And there's a bunch of confusion. And he's not as slick as he thinks he is. No. This entire time. But again, Irene has already kind of seen through the game. And so she plays along. Oh, God, yeah. She plays along for a long time <laughs> with the, all of this. Till, the, till we bow at till, the end. Essentially. <laughs> till very we close the to credits that. rolling. <laughs> very close to that. So they're flirting, it's cute. Then comes Dolly and Horace. And they stash the boys. They stash the boys. One goes under a chair, one goes in a cabinet. Minnie doesn't see this though, because she was in the back doing something. Right. They come in, Horace is like, I've got you chocolate peanuts. The unshelled kind. Dolly brings up, oh, I thought there were two gentlemen in the shop. Gentlemen? Horace, being the grouchy buffoon he is. He's <laughs> like, what? There were men in your shop? I'll fight them. What the fuck? Why? Because. Because what, she's ruined. She's ruined now because she yeah. was in her hat shop and there was a man in here. Yeah. The sanctity of her hat has been destroyed. Wow. Horace just does not even see the guys. He just gets pissed that they were there and he's like, you know what? Shove it. I'm not going to ask you to marry me anymore. You're lost. Goodbye. And he storms out and off. Well, he like asks for for the gentleman's name and Irene gives it to him, not knowing the implications. That Cornelius, because Cornelius, of course, did not give a fake name. No, he said his name was Cornelius Hackle, so Irene says as much. From Yonkers, New York. Right. And that's why Horace gets all huffy and, and puffs out, because, because how Dolly... could his nobody of a store clerk be the one who's wooing the woman he was going to propose to, of all things? Because he doesn't leave the feed shop. Right, right. So there's, there's a kerfuffle like, about no, it. No, he, he comes to New York all the time. The Everybody Cornelius Hackle. Oh my it. goodness. Oh, wow. He's always at the opera. She's in that gorgeous purple number too. Oh. This was the $8,000 dress. This is the cheapest this dress is the she cheapest wears. cheapest dress. <laughs> yes. The one with the matching shoes and the handbag. Yeah, this is the cheapest outfit she wore in this movie. The shoes, the ombre purple dress. 
the, the like the dragon bread. claws that she's got on she's right now. She's got holy bananas are her I mean, nails. Her long. nails are insane. The boys come out and are freaked out about their job because Horace says, I'm going to fire them when I get back. They're like, shit, we don't have jobs now. And Dolly's like, nah, it's fine. Essentially talks them into Loki in her way. You are going to go to the Harmonia Gardens. Just at, like everybody else. At eight. And they have that awful number in the hat shop where the boys learn to dance. And we hear Michael Crawford do some really reprehensible things out loud. <laughs> this is the worst of it, in my opinion. He really squawks. And I think it puts the song over. Like we get the, we understand the intention. And like, he's so excited that he's kind of bursting at the seams. And, and so that translates vocally. But like, holy crow, Michael Crawford. I'm going to need you to, this is, this is the instance where I was like, this could have been taken down. Michael Crawford? <sighs> <laughs> This song could have been taken down a couple of steps. I'm not acknowledging you. This could have been taken down a couple of steps, and I think it would have suited his voice a lot better. But they didn't. They just left it up there, and so he sounds awful. But wow, Barnaby sure can dance, huh? Yeah, he can. Because this is where Dolly pulls out the card. Yeah, this is the other card pull, and he and and Corny reads like twenty-eight and a half or twenty twenty-eight and three quarters learns to dance, and then she teaches him to dance, sort of, because she she can't teach dance she doesn't know how to do that but she fakes it she's kind of teaching the, the one two three you know like a basic da, 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 whatever yeah. i mean it's not really teaching and corny like doesn't really end everywhere. up with a proper box step either he just kind of lunges about <laughs> i mean with limbs like that yeah he's also he's also have. a string bean so then this ends up pouring out into the street we get more beautifully color coordinated ensemble members who do some really stunning dancing holy banana you guys have to watch it so this is one of the things that I think Gene Kelly does really effectively as a director. Because he was a dancer first, he understands how to translate dancing, which is a 3D medium, to the screen in a 2D medium. So we get a lot of dancers moving like at an angle like towards a camera or a camera moving like in on them as they dance. There's a lot of like push and pull physically between like the dancers and the actual camera. They're doing a dance themselves. Exactly, because Gene Kelly wanted to be able to translate the same joy and depth of movement that you do on stage. So that's one of his tricks to do that is to, to kind of swoop the camera back and forth. And I just think it's really effective. I think it's really clever of him. One of the things with this musical is there are tons of dance numbers and they are all so impressive. Very impressive. They're, they're well shot. We can see everything. The choreography is impeccable. And when you get those close-ups on certain aspects, you don't feel like you're missing anything. Right. They're, they're really effectively using the camera to direct your attention so that you still feel like you're watching a full ensemble number, but they're, they're showing you the important bits that maybe you would have to like watch a live show several times to catch all of them. They use the camera here so that you catch it all in one take, and it's not overwhelming or, or jarring. Right after this, we get the parade. Yeah, we immediately segue into into before the parade passes by. Exactly. There's like no downtime between numbers. We get this really beautiful moment like a soliloquy under a tree with dolly and she's talking about since my husband passed ephraim mm -hmm. since he passed i've put my life on hold my heart i have been actively out and socializing but it hasn't fully felt like me i think i've spent enough time sitting back and it's time for me to get out there the reason that she chose harmonia gardens is because that is where 
no matter rain, shine, tons of money, little money, every single Friday, her and her husband would go to Harmonia Gardens. And that has been a place that she hasn't stepped foot in since his passing. That's why she's having everybody go to that specific place. She talks about in this song that she feels like it is time for her to become alive again. And it's one of these really moving things where I know myself at least, pandemic was garbage. We've all been through it. And kind of sitting by, life passing you by, because it had to. Once vaccines, things like that, it sort of becomes safer. Actually getting to go out and feel alive again. To have communal experiences, to see the people you care about, to celebrate things. Being in a theater again. Oof. Having that joined experience. It was like breathing life into myself again. And mm -hmm. I'm sure I am not alone in that sentiment. Absolutely not. And I think that that is one way of connecting with this song now that other people didn't get a way of connecting with it before possibly. Yeah, it's a new light on the lyrics for sure. So we get this scene. Barbara just builds to a full out run in this dress because she's like, I'm going to catch the parade before it passes me by. Yeah. She's hoofing it in this purple number. And then... The parade. This parade. Holy. This is when you know we're watching a movie and you're not, this is not a live theater experience. It is a step above that. Oh This elevates my God. musical theater so impressively. Macy's Day who? Macy's Day could never. Never. I don't know that us talking about it will do justice to it. And I don't think it should. Of the sheer amount of volume of people. It's grandiose. Of, of costumes, of props. I mean, they build full floats. They have several different types of representation of groups of the time. This single number took three days to film because they kept... So they started with the really wide shots of like the whole street and the group numbers. Like they would just consistently run the number and like film it from different angles. So we have a lot of the like large coverage from the first day. And then they kept paring it down to smaller and smaller groups as the days went by. But yeah, they, and it was three days of just this number. I believe that because you not only have the people in the parade and there are oh, so many people. I genuinely, I don't know the, the number. I swear to God, it has to be thousands. I think they said um, initially like the first day was like 4,800 people or something like that on set. And then every single one of them, because they do those big pans out, every single one of them had to be in a period appropriate outfit. They're all and it is so, so intricate. And again, we're working in the 1890s. This isn't like t-shirts and jeans for every person. This is like underpinnings, like corsetry, hoop skirts, like everybody's got a coats, shoe. Waistcoats, overcoats, hats. Like everybody is decked fully from like earlobe to ankle. At all times. And several of them also have gloves or they have little parasols. And for the men, they don't just stick them, like you've said before, in simple, like, tuxes. This no, it's is... not basics. They're all colorful and brilliant and beautiful. And just the sheer amount you If have... I ever had to costume 4,800 people, even for a day, I think I would flip my body inside out and disappear. I don't know what I would do. It's astonishing that genuinely they were able to even shoot it in three days. I know. I mean, imagine the legwork ahead of time. Because they also had like old fire engines mm -hmm. with it with an actual Dalmatian on it, like a real uh, yep, life I dog. Saw that. <laughs> um, they have those really tall front big wheel bikes. They had eight of those. 
And the thing is, is that they then had to come up with all of these things, too. Right. Because it wasn't just people walking in a parade that you costumed. They actually put in real things, real props. We'll talk about the props department again later when we get into the Harmonia Gardens. But literally, every department on this movie did not miss a beat. Tens, tens, tens across the board. Fully for everybody. So diving in to the plot portion of the parade. Dolly shows up. Horace is in the parade because he was a part of the cavalry for something. Right, he's like a part of the veterans group. Right, so he's marching in the parade. Dolly is there and she sees one of her friends. Miss Gussie Granger. Miss Gussie Granger. Now I have a question. Yeah. She's on like the meatpacking float. Yep. Is she, she's holding a pig. Is she meant to be like a piggy princess? I'm not sure. I'm unsure. Because she, Dolly's like, oh my gosh, what are you doing? And like walks out and just like in the middle of the parade talking. Right. And Gussie's got a, got a bit about like, oh, just earning an honest dollar. But the, and she makes some quip about like for once. For once, you know, since I haven't been able to get on stage in X amount of years. Blah, Which blah, blah. makes me wonder... Are you also a hooker? She might be. Girl, get it. Get your bag wherever you're going to get it, girl. But I want to be friends with Miss Gussie Granger. She seems like a laugh riot. She truly, <laughs> truly. Then inspiration strikes. Earlier, when Dolly first gets into Yonkers, she's talking to Horace and she's talking to him about, well, I have an heiress that I was going to set you up with, but I guess never mind. You're right, if you're going to go see Irene, I guess whatever. it's fine. Never mind. I won't talk to you about a, about a word. Heiress. Ping. Light bulb moment. Gussie, who definitely has acted before in her life. Maybe not well, but she's done it. She's done it. <laughs> she's done it. She's like, huh, she needs money. I need an heiress. Here we go, kids. She hoofs it back to where Horace is and is like, oh, you know, I'm so sorry that Irene, blah, 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 blah. He's like, Dolly, you've been fired. I don't want to hear it. And she's like, okay, well, I guess I'll just tell the heiress that I was talking to you about earlier. That you're not interested in dinner tonight. That you're just not interested, you know? And he was like, no, I'm not. What's her name? Ernestina. Ugly. Ernestina. Why the ugly names? Why the ugly names? (laughs) Ernestina. Why? I don't don't care about that. What's her last name? Uh, Simple. Uh, It's Simple. Ernestina Simple. Terrible name. I don't care. What time? What time? How much money? Does she make her own meals? And it's just so obnoxious. He's so silly. Because he wants to be mad, but he still needs to get married. He's upset with with Dolly, but also like does need to go home with a wife because he cannot run his store by himself. No, and not he's going to need someone to take owners. care of him because, especially if he's marrying off Ermengarde, Ermengarde's the one who's been helping take care of exactly. him. Exactly, and, like, and I think that's the him. big push. Is like yeah. he's losing his caretaker because his niece takes care of him. So he needs someone to do that now. Like cooks his meals, blah, 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 all that stuff. And if you get a wife, you don't have to pay her. Correct. Hmm. (laughs) Anyway, so it's set. They are meeting at, also at Harmonia Gardens. Everyone's going to the gardens. Hi, guys. Hi. It's editing Drake and Binny. So we discovered um, upon editing the first like hour and 20 minutes of this pod that um, it's really long. <laughs> we just had a lot to say about it. And it's, I don't want I don't want to not say any of it because it all feels like good things. And I really care about this one. So 
So we want to keep everything, but in the interest of keeping our podcast around an hour and a half, (laughs) which we have to try really hard to make happen, um, we're going to go ahead and split this into two episodes. It's a two-banger. It's a two-banger. And a different kind of two-banger than the other two-banger we did when we did Cats. (laughs) We like to give variety here at Backstage Biddies. (laughs) On a variety of bangs. (laughs) So we're going to go ahead and split this. Um, next week's episode is going to be Hello, Hello Dolly Part 2. Super excited to bring that to you guys. Sorry to cut this one short, but this is technically where the intermission is in the live show. So just consider it a really hefty intermission. Everyone get up, go to the bathroom, have a glass of wine. Little snacks. A stretch your legs. You know, apologize to everyone around you as you shuffle back into your seat. And then by the time you do all that, it'll be next Monday and you can watch part two. Listen to part two? They could watch it. Oh, okay. You could watch the bar move on Spotify. Oh, that's true. You could physically watch it. (laughs) You guys might use your time more wisely by listening to it. But if you want to watch it, I mean, you have my blessing. Just like... Don't, don't plug in. Don't listen to it. Just watch the bar move. (laughs) Put it on mute and just, I mean, it's a view for us either way. So. Wow. Love you, mean it. (laughs) So should we still give them a fortune cookie? I think they deserve one if we're going to leave them a little high and dry. We'll leave you guys with a little, a little snack them. A light snack for intermission. Yeah, just to hold you over. Just a little cookie. If you want to drop a dollar in the donation, that'd be really spiffy. <laughs> All the proceeds go to the kids. Oh, the kids. Oh. Okay, so... <laughs> Where are the kids? <laughs> okay, so our... <laughs> oh my god. <sighs> so the fortune cookie for this week is a quote from Woodrow Wilson. The quote is... All things come to him who waits, provided he knows what he is waiting for. And you do. (laughs) You do. You do. It's us. You're waiting for us. And we love you for it. Thanks, guys, for waiting. Sorry we're making you wait. I'm not apologizing. Oh, wow. Good things to come to those who wait. Stand your ground. That's what Woodrow Wilson says. Stand your ground! Hey guys, if you can think of a way for us to outro efficiently, feel free to send it to us. Because we, I don't know why these are always clumsy at the end, but... It's because we're clumsy, but you know what? I do have a little something. Oh, fire away. Why don't you go right on ahead and up at the top of your screen there. Go on ahead and click that follow button. Oh, and hopefully you'll be able to follow us on um, Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts coming up soon. Very soon, we're going to work on that. Yeah, here's to hoping. It might even have already happened by the time this reaches you. Time travel is real. (laughs) And if you're vibing on our content, go ahead and rate us five stars. And comment or shoot us an email. Send us a tweet. An Instagram comment. If you know us, us, text us, Snapchat, all that fun jazz. Your favorite movie musical for it to be moved to the top of the list. You can find us on Twitter at BackstageBDs, Instagram at BackstageBiddies, or email us at BackstageBiddies at gmail.com. And where can they find you? They can find me on Instagram and TikTok at BinnyBiddy, and on Twitter at BinnyAnn, no E. Where can they find you? 
You can find me, of course, on Twitter and TikTok at Drake underscore Leverence. That's Drake underscore L-E-W-E-R-E-N-Z as in zebra. Drake underscore Leverence. Follow me and I'll tweet you something cute. I'll send you a fun little flirt. You just promise nudes to people? A flirt is not a nude, you homosexual. Well, I'm a gay man, so that is, they're the same thing. Oh, I'm aware. My mom listens to this. Hi, mom. Hi, mom. <laughs> Welcome to gay culture. Should we go? It feels let's, like, let's it feels like we should go. Let's go on ahead. I think, uh, oh, I think our ride is here. Oh, gosh. What's that oh, sound? It's oh, something else I have to do. We oh, there go. it is. There go. Okay. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Is it Peaker? I don't fucking know. It's P E A K E R. B E A? P. And I was going to pronounce it Pecker. Pecker. <laughs> Well, don't worry, gang. We got a blooper reel out of this episode. Rest easy. EJ Pecker, shut up. (laughs) Oh, I'm so sorry. You're going to need to edit the fuck out of this episode. I wasn't ready. Jesus. And then in 2007... I think it's still popular now. People still love Hello Dolly. And I think are like itching for another revival. Like people have a bulleted list of people they would like to see play Dolly Levi. In about 20 years or so, I would like to play Hal. Hala Hala Hala. I would would like to play Hala Dolly. Please, sir. I would like to play Dolly Levi if at all possible. This bloopers reel is going to be longer than the episode. Yeah, no shit. We're only in 35 minutes. Do you want to pause this? I guess.